It's always great to, I love baptisms. Congratulations, Lily, wherever you are, there you are. So exciting. Um, really, really important question to ask you all, and we're going to do a bit of vote. Who's going to win I'm a Celebrity later on tonight? Has anybody here been watching it? It's, it's a, yeah. If you don't know what I'm a Celebrity is, or if you do know and you choose not to watch it, I really think you're missing out. Um, I'm confessing, I love the show. I watch it every year. It's a bunch of celebrities. They use the term very loosely in this show. show. There's some people you have heard of that you really, really know, and some you don't, and they... Uh, they have about 12 of them, and they fly them to Australia in luxury. That's where the luxury ends. They're, they're thrown into a jungle in a camp you know, with nothing over them, and they have to basically fend for themselves for, for three weeks, and they get, you get to vote who does, does, who does trials and stuff, and you have to vote to keep um, your favorite person in, and then one's eliminated until you're left with the final three, and the final is tonight. Now... If you can remember back three weeks ago, there was huge furore in the news about one particular person that was joining the I'm a Celebrity cast. Can anybody remember who that was? Matt Hancock. Guess who is still in the jungle in the final three? Matt Hancock. If I'd have asked you all three weeks ago, if you'd have thought Matt Hancock would have still been in, can you raise your hand? You need to confess. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, you, I, it was, I, I find it quite shocking in there. There was great, um, yeah, Ferrari from going in, a serving member of parliament going into a jungle, being paid a lot of money. I mean, it is a bit of a trial, and we get to torture him, and he got voted to do loads of trials at the start. But he goes in there to all this yeah, noise around him, all this shock. Remember, he was also one that had to resign after being caught breaking his own, not rules, but guidelines, as we found out when he was in the jungle as well, during covid about keeping social distancing from workmates and all that, and he had an affair while he was at work with other people. Anyway, uh, what was incredible in there is he went in there, didn't he? And there is a point to this story, I promise you. He went in there, and he was saying he wanted to, he's dyslexic, he wanted to raise awareness for dyslexia, dyslexia and change the way perhaps people saw politicians and engage with a younger audience. But then perhaps in a moment of, I want to say, rare public honesty. I mean, after all, politicians are just human, like you and I. In perhaps a rare moment of real honesty, he said to a campmate after being grilled, well, I guess I'm really here for a bit of forgiveness. Did anybody see that episode where he said that? I thought that was quite honest of him in that moment. And perhaps that revealed the real reason why he was in there. He knew he'd messed up. He knew he'd made a load of mistakes, that his political career was probably over and finished before he even went in the jungle. 
And he goes in there and says, I'm after a little bit of forgiveness. It's really easy sometimes for us to sit in judgment over people, to see things in a certain way and have a fixed view. But then when we get to spend time with people or we get to see people um, more deeply or perhaps behind the facade, our attitude and our hearts can melt and change a little bit. That's clearly what's happened, I think, with a lot of people as they've been watching this show towards Matt Hancock. I don't think people are voting to keep him in just because he's good entertainment. I think people have felt a little bit for him. Tonight, we're looking at this uh, wonderful story. We're starting sort of Advent and the beginning of looking for God coming again. And we're finishing our Who He Is series. I quite um, think it's quite nice. I actually don't know if you can remember this. I opened this series a long, long time ago, the second Sunday after the Queen died. And we looked at um, the name Yahweh, the opening one, the name of God Yahweh, which is God, um, um, sorry, which means I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And that's kind of sort of the, the Old Testament sort of first name that God gives himself. When Moses says to him, who shall I say is sending me? God says, Yahweh, I am who I am. Or you can translate it, I will be who I will be. And what we, what we know is that, that God is unchanging. He is who he is, and he will always be who he always is. His character remains the same. And that's what we talked about at the start. And here tonight, we're finishing the series with this new name of God, which I think goes really well when we remind ourselves of what Yahweh means. I am who I am, and I will always be who I will always be. Because we're looking at the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if God is unchanging we can know that God is always with us. And I think when we know God is with us, it changes who we are. It does a few things to us. In that Bible passage that Grace read to us a few moments ago, we saw in this story of Jesus coming in, uh, still not even born yet, But inside uh, Mary, we saw the difference it made in Joseph's life when God came and he knew God's presence with him. And so tonight, I want to look at three things that I think happens in us and around us when we fully know that God is with us, speaking to us, that his presence is alive in us. It brings transformation. So the first thing is God's presence brings a new perspective on things. God's presence brings truth and clarity to see reality as it actually is. As we spent time watching I'm a Celebrity, we got to see, if you did watch it, 
with clarity and understanding perhaps Matt Hancock a little bit better and our anger and perhaps hatred towards him subsided a little bit. I remember a few years ago when I was uh, running an alpha course, somebody, when they were doing the alpha course, said, you know, I used to go around and I used to be, look at creation and be in awe and wonder and think it was beautiful already. But knowing God and his work at it, it's like seeing things in color now compared to black and white before. It changed the way she saw the world around us. Often when we go around, I think we can judge and see people, we can judge people more harshly than perhaps we judge ourselves. When we act, we know the full story behind it, but we don't always know the full story behind what's going on in other people's lives. I would like you to, for a moment, to put yourselves in Joseph's um, shoes. Can you imagine you're engaged to somebody? and you find out that the other person is pregnant. It's easier for me because I'm a man, but um, just put yourself in his shoes for a while. You are going to be judging Mary quite harshly, aren't you? All, in, all um, signs point to her being unfaithful. Yeah, we hear that Joseph is a honourable man. Mary, by the way, for the predicament that she found herself in, or that Joseph thinks she could find, she's found herself in, could, if Joseph made it public, she could be stoned to death under Jewish law for being pregnant outside of marriage. But Joseph wants to be honourable and divorce her on the side. Now, you might be thinking, well, if they're engaged, why does he got to divorce? Uh, very quick history lesson. There was three stages to marriage back in the Jewish times. First of all, you had the contract negotiations, which was like when, um, the, when couples used to get married, it used to often be arranged you, the, well, how much money was going to be uh, paid for uh, or, or given for, for the marriage to happen between the families. And once... Um, those negotiations had um, been settled, the couple were officially engaged. And that's the stage that Mary and Joseph were at. But that engagement was like a betrothal. The wedding would happen. And to break it was, they weren't living together yet, but that was like, if you were to break that, you had to break the contract. So it was like a divorce. That's the stage. And you'd eventually get married about a year later. They were still living separately and all those things. That's why it still uses the language divorce, even though they're not married. So Joseph was going to be honourable towards Mary whilst obeying the law himself and seeing things. But God comes in to Joseph's life, Joseph's life through an angel in a dream. And it totally transformed the way Joseph saw Mary. It brought a clearer perspective. He saw the whole picture. Can you imagine as well, perhaps, it's not recorded in there, but Mary having a conversation with Joseph 
about this and what Joseph must have thought about what Mary was saying. But it took God to come in to change the perspective from Joseph's point of view. God's presence to Joseph cleared his sight. He saw Mary how God saw her. Are there people, are there places where you need to invite God to come in and clear your vision to give perhaps other people a break to see people how God sees them from his perspective to perhaps be slower to judge others harshly and to seek God's truth and God's grace on those people. So God's presence brings perspective. The second thing it does, that we're going to go on this point quite quickly, is God's presence brings peace. Because Toby spoke, I think, didn't you, on peace? as one of the names of God a few weeks ago. And if you can remember back to that, um, peace is not uh, the absence of conflict, but peace is something that's, that's, that's much more than that. It's like, um, one of the things it's like um, is a stillness or calmness in your soul, even when it may be costly or difficult situation from a worldly perspective. You can have great peace about going to a place or in a certain situation. I think I said here before, and I actually did a similar talk to this at All Saints Western Green this morning, the church that I am now vicar at. I was sort of looking around at other churches thinking, where's God calling me to next? And one of the key places, one of the key things that I was looking for and that my spiritual director encouraged me to look for was when you go to a place, do you have peace in your soul about it. Don't just look at it and think, is it a big church? Is it a nice church? Do they have lots of people? Do they have this? Do they have that? Look for peace. God's peace in that place. Do you think God's presence is there? And that's why I ended up at All Saints. And God's peace can come incredibly close in times of trouble. I also did a funeral this week at my new place. And one of the things that uh, we do is we use, uh, quite often people choose Psalm 23 in there. Now that's the, that famous psalm of David about uh, uh, God being his shepherd in the, in the big open-like expanses, the meadow with a stream running by, but also through the valley of death. And actually, if you notice, if you, if you ever read that psalm again, Psalm 23, God is closer to David and more attentive to his sheep in the troubled times, in the turmoil, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff. Staff was a thing that shepherds would used to use to pull their sheep even closer. They are with me. God brings peace even in troubled times. There's a wonderful verse in Philippians 4.7 that says this. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul is writing that to the Philippians about trusting God in all circumstances, in all times, that peace can come into your hearts and into your minds, no matter what is going on in the world around you. God's presence brings 
peace. God's presence is still with us, even if you're struggling, even if times are hard, even if you fear what other people might think about you. When God came to meet Joseph, he got a clearer perspective of what was happening with Mary and even what God was going to do through their child, through Jesus. It would be God with them. And it gave him a peace to be with Mary, in spite of perhaps what other people might think of them with her being pregnant before they were even married. So God's presence brings perspective, brings peace, and it also gives us a new purpose. As we gain perspective and peace, it changes how we act. Emmanuel, God with us as we've looked at. But you also notice there's another name for God in this. I've got like two for one tonight. Also in that passage, it says, you will call your son Jesus. I'm sure most of you know this already, but you know what the name Jesus literally means? Yeah, I heard a few. God saves. See, we have God with us, and the name is Jesus, God saves. God is with us to save us. He's not with us to catch us out or do anything else, do anything else or to trick us. He is with us to save us. And so Joseph wakes up from his dream and he doesn't just carry on with what he'd had in mind to do, divorce Mary on a quiet. He changes his direction. He goes back to marrying her he serves and protects her. In fact, they flee to Egypt, probably not something that was in Joseph's plan. And we know Joseph was still uh, caring for and looking after Jesus for when he was a, a young, uh, uh, young man, about 13 years old. Then he kind of disappears off. We don't know too much else about Joseph about that. Most people think he probably uh, died in between 13 and when, Joseph, um, and when Jesus started his public ministry. But we know he loved and cared for and followed God's advice to Mary. And he helped care for Jesus as he grew. When God comes, when God speaks, he gives us a new direction in life. Again, at Alpha, I'm running another Alpha course. I was asked this week the really, really tricky question. Is this, what is the meaning of life. What are we here for? What I normally do is when I get that is I normally point to the shorter version of the Westminster Catechism, as I'm sure you all do in your, when people ask you that. Because uh, the answer to that question is, is, what is the chief end of man? Which is a similar question. What's the, what's the purpose of, of life? And the answer to that is to worship God and enjoy him forever. And the person that I said that to, he wasn't really satisfied. He says, yes, but what, what are we here for? And it's a really, really, it is a really tricky and difficult question to answer. But I then said something else. I said, 
Well, one of the things that God tells us, I don't know if I can give you a full and complete answer, like exactly why are you here, but one of the things that we're told in the Bible is that God, that, that love is eternal. What we do in God's love, love lasts forever. And I said, if you, if you struggle with the meaning of life and you wonder why God has made us, then actually you don't think God's real. Love doesn't really matter, does it? What we do in this life is ultimately meaningless and pointless because it doesn't mean anything eternally. It's not going to mean anything in the future because it's all going to end one day. But if you believe in God and he says love lasts forever, actually what you do and how you behave does have eternal impact. God tells us that his love lasts forever and he calls us to be people that love, that care for one another. Love, what we do in love, has eternal consequences for us and for the people around us. When we know God's with us, I think we know the greatness of God's love for us. And it changes and it transforms us. And it helps us see people in a new way and gives us new purpose to live lives differently. To try and see that big picture. To not just be angry and constantly hate on people like politicians, like Matt Hancock, or anybody else that we know. But it encourages us to step back, to remember a God who loves us deeply, who came to be with us. A God who encourages us to look at people in his eyes and to know his strength and his presence with us always. There's this wonderful blessing that uh, is uh, from the book of Numbers. This might seem like a bit of a of a jump, that God gave some of the, the priests uh, to say and over the nation of Israel, which was God's people back then. And it's this, you might have heard this, I think Patrick, like, it's a great thing, I think Patrick said it a few times, I think you really like this passage. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the passage is that the priests, so when they do this um, and they put their name on the people and God says, I will bless them as they do that. I want every single one of you to know that Jesus has blessed you because he is with you. He's come to save you. When you're in his hand, he keeps hold of you. His face is turning towards you, shining on you. He's always gracious to you. He wants to give you peace. I just want to encourage you all to know his presence with you eternally. Turn your face to him. Let his glory shine upon you and his grace and his life come to be in you and on you now and always. It will save you. It will probably save other people as well. And it will help you go through life, seeing things in that better, clearer way with his peace and giving you a better purpose as well as you journey through this life. Amen.